0: We present the News Quiz with your host, Sandy Togsvig.
1: Hello, and welcome to the News Quiz. We start with a notice from Holyrood Church, Moorside, Manchester, read by Corrie Caulfield.
0: September the 10th, 3 o'clock p.m., pet service, followed by barbecue.
1: And our thanks to John Minty for sending that in. Now let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first on my right, Andy Hamilton and Phil Hammond? And opposite them on my left, Jeremy Hardy and Alan Corran. Right, Andy. Why isn't Beckett looking forward to a good end game?
2: That is quite hard, isn't it? Yeah. I'm a bit thrown, actually, because this is the last show of the series. Yeah. And traditionally, we're allowed to bring in games.
1: <laughs> well,
2: but we're going to have to do, actually do the show properly. Well,
1: the second half, we're going to watch a video.
2: OK. <laughs> um,
3: I'd brought in something for the nature table, if <laughs> good.
1: Yes, I, I'd like you to put that away, Phil. OK, we? sorry.
4: <laughs> Damn. I could, get, is... I could do end game and get half a point from the Beckett snobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah let start with that. Yeah. Can you do the whole thing? Yeah, I th- it sounded to me as a, a very unsavoury question about Harold Pinter, whom I ran into the other night, but I don't think it is, is it?
1: No, but I like the name dropping. You get a point for that.
4: <laughs> yes,
2: this is about Margaret Beckett. It is, yes. With that fine, incisive political mind that she has, speculated that Iraq might not turn out that well. <laughs> Although I noticed apparently there was a story saying that they're trying to ban the ITN from covering the war in Iraq this week. They
1: were, they were naughty and said people were getting hurt.
2: Were they? I thought I heard it was because they wanted Ant and Dec to host it. And, <laughs> and I noticed the new spin on Afghanistan is that we're withdrawing because we've
4: done such a good job. I'm just confused. Having been away for some time, these names mean nothing to me. Did the boys get back from Dunkirk? <laughs>
5: You know you're in trouble when your politicians start sounding honest. As Margaret Beckett's going, but well, she's just saying the truth. She's saying, oh, it's not looking very good, is it? But you're the Foreign Secretary, what do you think? Well, I don't know, really. <laughs> it's all looking a bit of a mess, isn't it? Do you know, I think this might all have been a mistake. It's an interesting
3: political strategy, isn't it? But yeah. she, she also said, we're going to split it into thousands of little pieces. Hmm. In Iraq, there's going to be tiny little regions with three people spoofing You'll have a Sunni and a Shia and a Kurd,
2: speak, or they'll place scissors, paper, stone or something to decide who's going to take over. I know what we'll do. We'll end up doing what we always do, aren't we? Which is we'll find some psychopathic warlord who we think can be a strong man, and we'll democratically appoint
5: him the head of Iraq. It's going to be Dennis to... Wise. They're going to take him from Swindon Town
1: <laughs> and
5: stick him in the head of the peacekeeping force. Couldn't we put a Shah in like we did so successfully in Iran?
1: is that a very posh way of saying shower?
5: No, like a shy. It's
1: has a
5: shy. <laughs> <laughs> it is a shy. If Terry Thomas were alive, he'd say, Oh, it's an absolute shark.
1: <laughs> Do you not find it worrying that um, the woman who's in charge of our foreign policy is a keen caravan? Uh... Uh,
5: Arabic word meaning lost in the desert. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the story was about <coughs> Iraq in the news
1: this week after Margaret Beckett told Radio 4's World at One that the invasion of the country might be seen as a foreign policy disaster in the future. <laughs> uh, so we have two points to Andy there. Phil, who has had an open door slammed in their face?
3: Ooh, I would imagine the Romanians yes. and the Bulgarians. It is indeed. We allow the uh, poles in, we've allowed. We like
1: the poles. But we,
3: 20, we... Th- apparently Romanians are all vampires. Um... <laughs> so John Reed is going to stand at Dover with some garlic, uh, hoping desperately to repel them, which is slightly worrying, because he looks a bit like Gollum, doesn't he? There's a touch of of pot kettle black there. Uh, But yes, they've decided a quota of only 20,000. We have enough plumbers and
4: childminders and and people in the catering trade. Poland has asked for the Bulgarians and the Romanians. You saw that. Poland being empty. They're not being a plumber or a whore for miles. Um...
5: This is... um... Though they, because it's open borders, as it should be, they can't physically stop EU citizens coming to this country but just force them into the black market is the idea. Because all, all the trades is all cash anyway. Because No matter how reputable your your tradesperson is, he wants cash, doesn't he? And I can't come Monday because I'm doing up my house in Portugal. When did, <laughs> when did the lower orders become so wealthy? <laughs>
1: I like the cash-in-hand system for foreign migrants. I mean, I'm a foreign migrant myself, and um, that's how I manage to work here. Unfortunately, I keep it very quiet from officials that I'm doing the news quiz. <laughs>
5: They're not going to bother about four quid a week, so No, that's true. <laughs> and surely, isn't there a basic right to freedom of, of movement? Should, I mean, the government's saying, well, you can come because we need someone to do the guttering. You can come because we need some teachers. What about the right? You couldn't possibly... Put forward an argument saying people should be forced to stay where they were born. Certainly not Belgium or Aldershot. <laughs> but the argument
3: was that we apparently were only going to get twenty thousand Poles and Lithuanians, and we ended up having five hundred and sixty
5: is... thousand. And look, they're everywhere. Yes. You can't move for the Poles. <laughs> <laughs> How does anyone know if somebody's Polish? I mean, Yay), Yay! Oh.
4: That is the best interruption we've had in 28 years. In uh, fact, it's the best tra- answer we've had in 28 years.
5: To translate, that meant, do it to me, Jeremy Eustallian. Uh, no,
1: uh, excuse-
4: that's
5: what you heard, Jeremy
1: uh, Anyway, the question... <laughs> Was about Home Secretary John Reid, who has unveiled new limits on the rights of Bulgarians and Romanians to work in the UK. Anybody who's found guilty of employing a Romanian or Bulgarian without the required documents will face a £1,000 fine. And there are lots of groups already taking evasive measures in order to avoid this, such as the Wombles of Wimbledon um, and their new leader, Great Uncle Kent.
5: Um,
1: Two points to fill. Jeremy, why is the butler saving face in Hampstead?
5: Well, the only face story is the transplant, Mm -hmm. and uh, the job of satirists is to pour derision and scorn on things, but this is wonderful news, it's medical advance, which will aid people who uh, have got disfigurement for some reason, it won't be somebody else's face, it will be the skin off their face, but I don't know if there are different face types, like with blood, whether they're happy and sad, like the BAFTA awards. (laughs) Except the cruel irony is, and Phil will help us with here because he's a doctor. Um, the Im- immunosuppressants. The immunosuppressants, because what your immune system does is says, stop this and attacks the new face. Now the immune system is bloody useless most of the time. <laughs> It won't, you can't even stop the cold. It says, oh, haven't you had your echinacea? You think, what? What? No what? No one knew what echinacea was ten years ago. And the immune system said, oh, I can't do it without my echinacea. And he said, oh, no, I need my echinacea.
4: No, 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 it does work. I mean, I've been away for a bit. I didn't even know Simon had had the operation. <laughs> but, but it is looking terrific. <laughs>
5: Thank and you you'll much.
4: find the only thing is they've had a go at your legs. They've come out a bit short. <laughs> you stand a serious risk of being adopted by Madonna.
1: (laughs) Doctors at the Royal Free Hospital, led by surgeon Peter Butler, are scouring the country looking for the recipient of the world's first full face transplant. And apparently, in some ways, facial transplants are are not uh, as risky as uh, very extreme facelifts. For instance, it's believed that Anne Robinson has to shave three times a day to avoid having a goatee. Now... (laughs) and who faced Commons questions about the possibility of becoming either a Duke or Earl for money?
4: This, this is, uh, is honours for cash? Yes. Uh, Where well, they dared to speak to my, my dear friend, Michael Howard, to whom I've given a couple of fish suppers and bought a couple of drinks, and I'm still Mr Corran, so I I, I... I know this man is straight as a die. Which
1: um, is Michael Howard, the man with something of the night, him?
4: No, there's nothing of the night about him. certainly nothing of the night about me, just the mister. Um, so... <laughs> I know the man is not susceptible to bribery.
2: It's such a daft system, isn't it? The honest system. I always think when it comes around, they give out these gongs and they'll say, you know, Sir Alan Sugar for services to the electronic industry. You think, why does an industry need to be served? I mean, presumably, you know, people sit down, they think, I'd like to make a lot of money.
4: They don't think, ooh, do you know, I, well, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to serve the electronics <laughs> industry. What's unsettling is the requirements on knights. If you look at the piece of vellum they get to stick up in their studies, you'll see what the requirements are, just to bear arms for the monarch. And you imagine, in the event of an Iraq war, we're sending in Alan Sugar and, uh, and Mick Jagger, Cliff Richard... It's not going to look good, is it? They have to. The things they're supposed to do in return is be prepared to die under arms for their monarch. But is that right, or do they
2: raise an army of serfs and send them all the people at Amstrad suddenly get. What, they get to like, work, and there's a know, coach outside, and they wonder where they're going. <laughs>
1: Uh, yes, indeed, the police decision to question former Tory leader Michael Howard in the Cash for Honours inquiry has added to speculation that Tony Blair will be quizzed about the four businessmen who loaned Labour 4.5 million pounds and were subsequently nominated for peerages. Uh, Labour had secretly been loaned 14 million pounds before the last election. The Conservatives had been loaned 16 million, and the Lib Dems had been loaned some wrinkle reduction cream and an Arctic monkeys CD. <laughs> Two points there to Alan at the end of round one. The scores are exactly even. Andy and Phil have four, and so do Alan and Jeremy. We start round two with a cutting from the August edition of Saltburn's Monthly Magazine.
0: As many of you know, the fire last week at our sister church was put out by the prompt action of our ladies' circle, who quickly turned themselves into a bucket chain. A special mention must go to Mrs. Treves-Jones, who spent two hours... Passing water,
1: and our thanks to David Craddock for spotting that. Andy, who's going green at the gills at the price of parking? Oh,
2: is this about Richmond? It is. Richmond Council—they've—they're um, bringing in. <coughs> I'm getting a bit croaky here. I might have to write my answers down and give them to Phil. Um, I think this is about Richmond Council bringing in a preferential parking discount for. People with green vehicles and people with these big 4x4 Chelsea tractor thingy-me-bobs are going to be asked to pay more. I have to say it was one of the more enjoyable moments of my life when I did have i Got News For You with Jeremy Clarkson and watching his face when I told him I had a Toyota Prius. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's very good that Richmond's done this. I think uh, we got to start somewhere. And um,
1: it's it's... apparently, electric cars are going to be free. And I don't really, I don't get the point of the electric car. Really, Cause it seems to me, you drive about ten yards, you must pull the lead out the socket. I mean, it's,
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> they it's the strange what... thing about energy. It's like I'm, I'm supposed to turn off my standby on the television, Ooh. but the energy I use, getting up from the chair to turn <laughs> it, <laughs> no, it's real. It was all created by food I ate from cows that were standing around that were milked mechanically. It's not an easy thing, Johnny Energy. It's a strange cove. <laughs> it's all about guilt management, though, isn't it? I mean, I,
3: I live in uh, a village that was voted Britain's Greenest Village. Uh, it's called Chew Magna, just south of Bristol. And it's full of people who recycle their bottle tops to try and assuage the guilt of driving their kids to school in
2: a Mitsubishi Land Destroyer. Um... <laughs> the funny thing about hybrid cars is that the price is too quiet so quiet that pedestrians step out in front of you, so you're reduced to sitting in the car making car noises. So that...
1: Millions of drivers of sports cars and 4x4s face hefty charges to park outside their own homes under a scheme being pioneered by the local council, Richmond-upon-Thames. I actually drive the world's only 3x3. Three three. It's, it's an off-road Robin Reliant. And, a... and there's a new survey that shows that Britons are the worst energy wasters in Europe, committing an average 32 energy-wasting actions A week, things like forgetting to turn lights off, leaving computers on standby overnight. Actually, I hate waste, which is why I don't have one. Now, Phil, (laughs) You're a doctor, so we've come to you for some medical advice. Right. Can you tell me the old, old story about parenthood?
3: Well, there are a few stories about parenthood. There are,
1: actually, a number. I'll give you points for each one you bring up.
3: Well, the first one is that it's, it's happening rather too soon in this country. Yes? I think 25% of young girls by the age of consent have already had sex. Uh, there was another story that said, uh, I think only one in ten of them could point to their country on a globe, and only one in ten of them could name a continent. So clearly what we have to do is put the maps on the ceiling. Uh. LAUGHTER
1: for that one straight away, which is that young Britons are the most sexually ignorant in Europe, apparently. 73% of British 16-year-olds are incorrectly identified chlamydia as a character in Footballers' Wives, so mm. that's...
0: <laughs>
1: there,
3: there was a rather sad story, well, maybe not sad, about we over the amount of sex that we have, and in reality, most British people have sex once or twice a year,
2: and they prefer companionship. Mm, I think the real problem is they leave their genitalia on standby. <laughs>
3: I would, I would actually, as a doctor, I would urge people to, to have a stab at it, because the, the Lancet, which is the... have you, a
5: stab at it? Oh, you're a smooth-talking devil, aren't you?
3: <laughs> the medical equivalent of the news of the world, the Lancet, came up with this, this uh, graph where they've actually worked out the calorie counts during sex, and it's worked out that even bad sex is good for you. If you try and put a condom on an erect penis, you use up about seven calories. You try and put one on a flaccid one, you use up
4: 16,756
1: <laughs> Uh, so you've got two points so far, Phil, but there are, two, as far as I know, there are two other stories. Can we
4: have about one about very old people having babies? Yes,
1: that's Yes. A, that's a, that's I don't
4: want to think about it. I just want a point for it. No,
1: there's a point for it. There is so a point. There was a
4: great story. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? What do you think? There was a woman of
5: 62 who
3: had a baby, wasn't there? Because apparently you don't have to push. It just sort of falls out at the end. <laughs> John, John, the, the, the other advantage, actually, is you can breastfeed standing up. You just sort of... <laughs> so I mean, I'm
1: what all in favour. Can you imagine if you were sort of 70 and your daughter was 20? How would you have the strength to help her fend off Michael Douglas? I mean, it would
2: just be. So it's about infertility this week, isn't it? Everything affects yeah. your sperm count, that's true to me. Either your sperm count was affected if you use a mobile phone. But
3: only if it's before your balls have dropped because they start no. off behind your ears. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I may always... be wrong, I may have missed that lecture and then they <laughs> gradually descend downwards.
2: <laughs> or. If you use your mobile phone between your thighs. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me um, let me just work out the points there. Two points to fill uh, for the first two questions. One point to Andy for sperm. <laughs> Are there any more? And uh, no, I think that's it. Oh, and right. Alan got a point just because he was here. Um, <laughs> A study by Ann Steiner of the University of North Carolina and Richard Paulson of the University of California has revealed that women who give birth in their 50s are just as able to cope with motherhood as younger mums. And the sperm thing was the uh, increased mobile phone use by men and defective sperm. There's been shown to be a correlation. Brits tend to rely more on companionship than sex and long-term relationships, and the young people have sex and don't know what they're doing. So, you know, it reminds me of my very first job when I left university, and I got a job at the local doctor's surgery advising on safe sex, which is truly not my specialist area. And um, <laughs> yeah. I remember this young Irish girl came in and I was very nervous. And she was very nervous, and I said, Are you um, <clears throat> sexually active? And there's quite a long pause, and she said, Well, no, mostly I just lie there. <laughs> Have a listen to this,
0: ones,
4: the ones, the ones,
1: Sir Cliff Richard, <laughs> knight who's the final defence in Britain. Knight, um...
5: knight <laughs> of the living dead, in fact. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jeremy, why apparently should we be afraid of the young ones?
5: Uh, we are all afraid of young people, understandably, because they're armed. That was a mistake. We should never have armed the young. And that's why we're all a bit scared of their because they're out with their hoodies on. And uh, I don't know why we should be scared of people. It's only a garment. It's only a cardi with a lid, isn't it? <laughs> Just because their ears get a bit chilly. The thing that distressed me was that
3: they would. It was this how to approach a hoodie. Uh, I saw in one of the newspapers, and that was you treat them like dogs. You don't show them any fear at all. You just show them friendliness. Do you throw them a stick. I think so. yeah. <laughs>
1: Do you think Jack Straw makes them remove their hoodies when they come into the circle?
5: Mind you, if teenagers can lick their own genitals, they're all out of danger because they'll be busy from dusk till dawn. <laughs>
4: Very funny. I mean, what <laughs> Phil reminds me of when I was young. It's quite a long time ago. There was an advert for Ever Ready torch batteries. That said, among the other things, it was hard to sell them, that in the event of a fierce dog coming up to you at night, shine the torch into its eyes and it will go away. Do you remember that, ad? Oh, yeah. mm. And I did that with the Bunyan's dog. They lived at number 18. And the dog ate my torch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, it saved your life. And huh? I've
4: never forgotten it.
1: A new report by the Institute of Public Policy Research. Such a fun bunch. Um, And it shows that Britons are becoming increasingly fearful of young people. British adults are the least likely in Europe to intervene if they see a group of 14-year-old boys vandalising a bus shelter, partly due to fear and partly because they would see it as a legitimate alternative activity to school sports. (laughs) Uh, So that was uh, two points to Jeremy. Alan, who's got all touchy about his duchy?
4: Uh, this This is Prince Charles. Very curious thing. There was a move to charge income tax on Dutchy originals and uh, chocolates, all those sorts of things, which now attract an enormous amount of income tax, or should, but they don't because he's exempt by being Prince Charles. And there was a serious move on the part of, uh, I think, one half of the exchequer to get money from him, and Gordon Brown stepped in and said, no, he's the heir to the throne, and we can't take the money off him. Did he then say, Janet, these sheets are soaked in urine? (laughs) (laughs) I'll have (laughs) had your tea. There were a lot of, there were bizarre stories, royal stories of the week. Was that one, uh, G.F. Trumper? They are barbers by appointment. They're good, they're in Curzon Street, and I I go to Trumper's once a month to have my head polished. And and they've been fined £10,000 for selling shaving brushes, because they're made out of tusks taken from elephants.
3: They should have detached the elephant first, shouldn't they? Would have
4: <laughs> and then this very odd thing about the light Buckingham Palace being floodlit, so you could actually see Prince Philip flitting from bathroom to bathroom.
1: A, or apparently indeed. it was that they were worried that you couldn't see Buckingham Palace after four o'clock in the winter. <gasps> you mean
4: you'd run into it?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean Stone witch. me, that wasn't
4: there this morning. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's stroll through St James's and go slap-bang into a concealed palace. Um, (laughs) Prince Charles has refused MPs' request to examine accounts for the Duchy of Cornwall to find out why the organisation was exempt from corporation and capital gains tax And this was extraordinary. The property investments are worth over £551 million, and they include the Oval Cricket Ground and Dartmoor Jail. And I thought there really is something for every ex-public school boy, isn't there? (laughs) And uh, also you get an extra point for the Royal Barbers. Uh, At the end of round two, Andy and Phil... Oh, it's still even. Andy and Phil have got ten, and so have Alan and Jeremy. three, here's an obituary of a royal equerry from the Daily Telegraph.
0: Inevitably, his duties brought him into close contact with the royal family. He blew the hunting horn at Balmoral to welcome the Waleses home from their honeymoon and he was responsible for mounting members of the family.
1: <laughs> and our thanks to Ted Scapplehorn who sent that in. Andy, what big bird made Patagonia more like Nightmare on Elm Street than Sesame Street?
2: This is a story that comes around just about every week. Paleontologists find the fossil of a new terror bird, yep. as they call it. And this is a terror bird. It was ten feet high. It's like Bernard Matthew's wet dream, this bird. <laughs> it's a ten foot high turkey, but it was vicious and it used to go around eating dog-like creatures. Because they like big emus, weren't they, I
5: think? I about Rod Hull, obviously.
4: It was like that. <laughs> Those were
5: the days when a swan could break your arm, because they'd have a whole gang of ten foot birds behind them, and it's... Oh. But there was... My th- friends are going to show you a bit of a lesson. <laughs> Don't be coming down here with oatmeal bread. We like white bread.
0: <laughs>
5: and we like it sliced.
4: <laughs> I mean, it is the malevolence of birds one doesn't really expect. It's like that story about the pelican in St James's Park this week, which ate a pigeon. I think once a pelican worked out just how big
2: its beak is, a few toddlers could start to disappear, they? 270
3: Bulgarians sleeping in that aren't they? <laughs>
1: The fossil of a ten-foot-tall carnivorous forest racket or terror bird, has been found in Patagonia. Uh, The birds ran at speeds up to, but not exceeding 30 miles per hour, thanks to a massive investment in speed humps and cameras by the (laughs) Patagonian County Council. Who has discovered, Phil, the oldest stinger in town?
3: I don't know who's discovered it, but they're very interested in why bees appear to be more intelligent than the average British school leaver. Um, (laughs) Despite, apparently, having fewer genes than a fly. Less DNA than a fly, but they're incredibly intelligent and they can talk to each other and swim and do aerobics. And... Do you
1: yeah. know what they've found? Do you know what it is that's some to...
2: some human genes?
5: It's they? a missing yes.
2: link. Yeah. They're they're closer to us genetically than they are to flies. I find that hard to believe at a casual glance. So that's true of
3: everything, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: we share ninety percent of our DNA
3: with earthworms or any creature you care to name.
5: I mean, it's Do uh, we? Yeah, I'm still. You a don't different. see pictures of that in Hello
4: magazine. There was they. <laughs> It's the bees gene that makes it social, the one that teaches it to play bridge and uh...
1: it
5: is
3: amazing how they can communicate with so few genes. I, I mean, got, got an, an email something.
5: from a bee the other day. It <laughs> is, <they covered> it. <laughs>
1: Uh, Scientists have identified the missing link between bees and wasps. Uh, They discovered a 100 million year old specimen preserved in amber. And apparently honeybees spread into Europe from Africa, uh, making at least two ancient migrations. The first about 35 million years ago, and then the second about the time of the invention of the jam sandwich. (laughs) Alan, who thinks they finally got the measure of crime?
4: Yeah, a lot of police stories this week. It was the week of the police league tables and Nottinghamshire. Actually, Ottinghamshire, as it turned out, came bottom. And there was very sad photographs of a bloke sweeping in front of Nottinghamshire Constabulary because the N was missing.
1: Well, and actually, you think
4: someone had nicked the N. <laughs> and It was Northamptonshire. But no, um, Nottinghamshire and Northamptonshire were joint bottom.
1: Humberside and Northampton. All three of them. <laughs> Can I just say, if you are listening to us in any of those three areas, then please put the radio down. It doesn't belong to you.
4: <laughs> we're talking about Nutsford with a K. Yeah. And uh, there, are, there are lots of shops in Nutsford that are being turned over by uh, young villains. And the police have got a new initiative, which is that you pin a tape measure from ceiling to floor inside the door lintel. Mm-hmm. And when the man in the hood is running out of the shop with your money, you'll be able to see how tall he is. <laughs> and all the police have to be told is that a man between five foot six and six feet uh, took your till and they will go out and catch him. The only problem is that if he uh, tries to evade this by tearing the tape measure off and gets a splinter, the shopkeeper can get five years for assault with a deadly weapon.
1: (laughs) It sort of suggests that they're only going to because the prisons are very full. I sort of wonder whether they're only take sort of villains up to five foot two. The story concerns the Cheshire police who've come in for criticism after suggesting that shopkeepers help tackle crime by fixing tape measures to their doors so they can note exactly how tall a villain is as he robs them. Before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings that the teams have brought along. Andy.
2: This was sent in by. <clears throat> this was sent in. It... I start to sound like I'm going through puberty now, though.
1: <laughs> well, it's about time. <laughs>
2: This was sent in by Paul Zernikazov, and it was seen in the Nottingham Evening Post job section. Trainee stroke assistant bra grader. This is a role with scope and variety, which is both challenging and rewarding. Whilst assisting the bra grading team, you will receive hands-on training with an experienced (laughs) team.
3: Phil. Yes, uh, I've got a a circular from Portsmouth Medical Society that was sent in by Hilary Bagshaw. Uh, We'd also like to draw your attention to an additional Friday lunchtime meeting on the 18th of April. Uh, Dr. Grace Warren, a distinguished expert fresh out of Africa, is to give us an update on the subject of leprosy. A finger
5: buffet will be provided. (laughs) Jeremy. This was sent in uh, by Sonia Green from King Standing in Birmingham. I'm not sure what it is. It looks like a leaflet off a notice board, and it says, Summary of Changes. Monday, 11.30, Senior Fitness Class. Class is being removed. Reason for change. The class has been dramatically underperforming, with an average attendance of less than one.
4: <laughs> Alan. Now, I don't really believe this, but the new scientist believes it because they have actually sent it in. It says, thanks to the many readers who have pointed out that our piece on Dick Chop, the vasectomy expert, (laughs) and his fellow members of the urology team in Austin, Texas, contained a serious omission. We failed to mention that the team's specialist in the field of penile prosthetics for sexual dysfunction is Stephen Hardman. (laughs)
1: Let's take a look at the final scores. Alan and Jeremy have got 14, but this week's winners are Andy and Phil with 15 points. And before we leave you, here's a cutting from the Newcastle Journal sent in by Arthur Boyer.
0: Australian prisoner Robert Cole used laxatives to lose more than two stones so he could squeeze through a hole in the wall at Sydney's Long Bay Jail. He spent three days on the run.
1: <laughs> and with that, Goodbye.
0: Taking part in the news was were Andy Hamilton, Phil Hammond, Jeremy Hardy, and Alan Corrin. In the chair was Sandy Topf. And the news was read by me, Cory Corfield. The chair's script was written by Simon Littlefield, George Coles and John Finnamore. And the producer was Katie Tyrrell. <laughs>